What the fuck is self-quar? Hello, world. Hear the song that I'm singing. This is Baron Vaughn, and this is the Self-Quar Podcast, a podcast where I talk to people about how they are dealing with this insanity. And my God, is the insanity getting more insane these days or what? Am I right? Is this thing on? Is this thing on? I'm not actually um, bumping the microphone. I'm doing a... That's going to be really great for a sound engineer to have to deal with (laughs) right now. But I hope it actually sounds like I'm bumping a microphone into your ears. And you're kind of half listening to this being like, is someone at the door? Perhaps my package is here. Good. I love the United States Postal Service. Us pus, I call them for short. Because I like to give my government agencies adorable names. Adorable names. Right, Urs? <laughs> I'm getting audited by the Urs. All right. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Um, Guys, shit's weird uh, in these streets. Um, and by these streets, I mean these hospitals. And by these hospitals, I mean uh, the United States. Um, Jesus Lord, we have infection rates and hospital rates going through the roof. Um, people are getting really sick. And a lot of people are getting sick. And a lot of people had to travel um, for the holiday. And, uh, unfortunately, because of that, a lot of people are going to see their last holiday. And that is dark, but it's true. Um, it's fucked. It's fucked up. And this thing is still far from over. We're in the third wave, y'all. They always say the third wave is the worst, and we're already breaking records for infections. We're breaking records over here in California. And I bet you it's going worse in the Midwest and the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast and Canada, all these different places where they have actual fucking winter where it's going to be even harder. And I am worried, y'all. So let us, I don't know, let us let us take a breath. <laughs> of course, a socially distanced breath. Uh, try to go into a room in which there's no one else in it, uh, and, and there's no one else but you that has been in that room for the last three days. Take a deep breath. <sighs> this is far from over, y'all. Um, and with that feeling, with this end-of-year kind of slow, silent dread that I just put into your hearts because it's it's what's making mine kind of beat quite fast right now. I'd like to entertain y'all with two, count them, two different interviews from forever ago. And by forever ago, I mean a couple of months. A couple of months is an eternity right now, okay? These interviews are from so long ago that the presidential the presidential election didn't happen, okay? They're from so long ago that Joe Biden was not the presidential candidate for the Democratic Party. <laughs> I'm so silly. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, or am I not sorry? What? Self-quar. I'm just going to start saying that anytime I feel afraid. Self-quar. I'm going to start hearing that a lot more. Um, yeah, these two interviews are from the summer, basically. And so much has happened since then that it's it's nostalgic you know, to kind of hear about what we were concerned about then, even though a lot of these concerns still hold because shit's not over. Now, the two people, uh, I should say three people I'm talking to today, are Ming Zhang and Anya and Mickey Volz. Now, Ming Zhang is the narrative lead at Counterplay Games. Counterplay Games is a video game developer, 
um, developer. I'm saying I'm just mixing up all of my my letters today. A video game developer um, that has a new game that just came out with a little thing called the PlayStation 5. What? That's right. A game called Godfall. That's how you have to say it. Godfall. Because it's so damn intense and badass, you can't help but rasp your way through the words Godfall. I believe it's one word. It's actually not two words. It's one compound word, and that word is Godfall. Ming Zhang and I met in a kind of a backwards roundabout way through a mutual friend, and right away I just kind of liked him. He made an impression on me. I thought he was interesting. I thought he was solid. And he is a surprisingly cheery guy. Um, I don't know why I say surprisingly. Maybe it's because I'm not cheery. And anybody who has any kind of cheer, I'm surprised. <laughs> and so I project onto them that they too must be surprised by their own mood. Woof. That's deep, y'all. Deep shit too. Self-quar. Um, and then also, my other guest on this is Anya Voltz and her mother, Mickey. Now, Anya Voltz is a young comic from New York that I met about a year or two ago here in Los Angeles. Um, I've been aware of her because I, I try to stay up on who's coming up in the different cities that I came up in. So I try to try to keep my ear to the ground, I guess, the ear to the tracks when it comes to Boston, New York, uh, Atlanta, and uh, Los Angeles. So, you know, I didn't come up in Atlanta, but I just have a special kinship with that scene. I guess it's true about San Francisco and Austin and Chicago, too. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that I met Anya a couple years ago. I've been keeping track of her, and um, obviously... This pandemic is a giant thorn in the side of any young comic that was on the come up. And this is a person who was in New York and things got kind of insane and crazy in New York, as you might remember, if you don't pick up a newspaper, pick up a newspaper. Yeah, go pick up a newspaper. No, just Google it. There's no newspapers. Don't touch anything. Don't go outside and touch anything. Just go on your computer and look it up. Point is that, you know, when things started uh, hitting the early peaks in the New York days of the early pandemic, she got out of there. Um, you know, she got her tests done and did her quarantining and all that stuff and got out to Vermont where things were not as intense. And she was with her mother. So I wanted to see what kind of people they are together. You know, I know Anya a little bit on her own, but I was curious to see the dynamic with her mother, especially because her mom is not from this country. And because Vermont has a lot going on that is very different there than what was going on in New York and here in Los Angeles. So, you know, I wanted to present these interviews to y'all to kind of, hmm, I don't know, think on how far we've come since these days, even though we haven't come so far, I guess. I don't know. I'm curious to see what you guys will think. But in the middle of these two interviews, I'm going to also... Uh, talked to my good friend Katrina Davis uh, aka my overqualified sidekick in her segment Caddy Corner <laughs> it's not really called that guys I'm just coming up with names that are horrible for that segment um, as an ongoing bit to annoy Katrina because uh, Caddy Corner I think is the one that she hates <laughs> more than anything else but she hates it in a way that makes her giggle so okay I'm not being a full asshole just a partial one you know the way I was taught anyway I would now like to present to you Ming Zhang 
I read I read uh, I read Lord of the Rings in fifth grade. Mm, okay. Uh, I assume that was instrumental right? I, for you. Yeah, I read the Silmarillion in fifth grade also, and wow. um, I I remember reading that and my aunt going, "Why are you reading all this fantasy stuff? It's it's really just like gonna gonna crowd your head." <laughs> Right. She, I mean, she wasn't she wasn't terrible. She wasn't like ripping books out of my hands, you know, chucking them in the fireplace. But it was like um, it was one of those, you know, like um, scolding Chinese elder <laughs> kind of things. Well, because at that time it wasn't practical. Right. That's that's how it was all seen. It was like it wasn't something that existed, really. They didn't understand that that was a job, <laughs> you know, in an industry. Yeah. And so and so at the time I was like, I was like. I think Lord of the Rings isn't even fifth grade reading level. Like, why is this? Why is this a bad thing? You know? And then, and then, um, and so, and then I tell my friends about Lord of the Rings, and they'd be like, "What is this Lord of the Rings crap? Like elves? You mean like Santa's elves? You mm. know?" And and mm. all throughout high school, you know, I guess people are interested in girls or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> and then. And then I get to college, and what happens in co- when I'm in college? I'm I'm dating myself a little bit, but there's there's a jerk named Peter Jackson, who did a ah, thing. Yes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you had all these uh, these these frat boys coming up to me, going like, "Have you read Lord of the Rings? It's awesome. I'm actually reading the book, and it might be better than the movie." <laughs> so the jocks were saying this. Yes, and and I was just um, using the word jock also does date you. I just want to let you know. Well, you used jock. I just confirmed your word. Dagnabbit. <laughs> Continue what you were saying, though. No, but I—it's not that I'm bitter, but there was there was salt to be had. Hmm. There was there was sodium <laughs> involved, you know. Well, you know, and this is a big thing about what I'll call—I don't necessarily always agree with this term—nerd culture. Because, you know, I was flipping channels the other day and the old movie Revenge of the Nerds was on, you know, and <laughs> I didn't watch all, I didn't watch much of it, but I kind of watched it was like the beginning and they're um, they're like going literally getting in the car in their dad's station wagon. They're being driven to college. And I was like, what a far way we have come. Like it's right. It's, right. This was a culture that was insulted and looked down upon and of course a lot of people who are older remember that but now these are the people who usually have the ideas and make the things that everybody cannot wait to become a part of today multi-dollar industries (laughs) yes and and people it's cool to describe oneself as a nerd that's like it's like if you don't describe yourself as a nerd in your own bio or interview you are missing something. Why, why, why would you not call yourself a nerd? So my point is, my question is, do you still have, so maybe the salts, you said salt. So there are a couple of wounds, I would assume, from days of yore, to use a, to use a, now I had turned my, I had, I like to call them growing experiences. Mm-hmm. Now it's funny that, because my introduction to Lord of the Rings was, the animated Ralph Bakshi series that he did, like in the seventies, maybe. Is that is that the one with the the hairy dragon? Like the dragon was covered in fur. I can't remember. Possibly, yes. That that grossed me out. <laughs> <laughs> it's so extreme, and it, it 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 it. I mean, I love 
that artist's work, you know, Ralph Bakshi or Bakshi, I never remember how to say it correctly, but that left an indelible impression on me. And I, that was what I believed of Lord of the Rings, you know, having never read the books, I was a big animation movie person. Then I remember seeing the movie Heavenly Creatures, then the Frighteners. And I was like, this Peter Jackson guy is really interesting. And then when it was announced that he was going to do Lord of the Rings, I was like, he could do that. Because that's, that's who I was. Yeah. I was the film nerd who was like, mm, that's very imaginative. He, I think he could manage that. You know, that's nice. who I was. So anyway, me, um, here's what I want to ask you. You know, this pandemic obviously is very hard. Um, you are an Asian person. You've mentioned being Chinese. Obviously, yep. there's a lot of, you know, racism of various sorts happening in the world right now, especially in the <laughs> United States where we are. Um, the coronavirus, comma, COVID-19 has been given a racist name by, um, let's call him the president. And so these are, I would assume, things that you've had to deal with or don't have to deal with. Do you have any feelings about that stuff Oh, have I got, have I got things to say? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, first of all, that like kind of low key, I'll call it subtle racism, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A more tech, a more academically minded person might call them consistent microaggressions, but you know, that kind of low key racism has, has been very, very consistent, uh, you know, in, in my life as well as, um, you know, um, across the Asian American community, especially for diaspora, Asian diaspora mm-hmm. people. Um, you know, I, I remember I've, I've had as far back, you know, growing up, uh, you know, being called like, um, you know, the, the, we'll call it the, uh, the chink in the armor, right? <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Being called that, right? And, and this was as a kid, I'd be like in third grade in the, an adult would drive by and yell from their car. Right. Like I wouldn't say this is something that happened every day. Right. And, uh, and it doesn't have to happen every day (laughs) to to leave an impression. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the fact that I remember it pretty vividly, Mm -hmm. right. I've had, I've heard the uh, go back to where you came from. Um, Mm -hmm. I I kind of uh, have it in a, in a little strange inversion where I'm, I'm six two. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so because I'm 6'2", I, at least, you know, in, in high school and college days, I'd come, people would come up to me and be like, hey, you're really tall for an Asian guy. Mm, right? Yes, and yes, and my response would always be like, if I was a white guy, I'd be seven feet tall, right? Like, <laughs> right? Mm, like yes, 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 yes. I mean, I mean, it's an, it's, it's absurd, right? To think, to think like that, but that's, that's kind of the way it is. So when this sort of happened, it wasn't that surprising, but at the same time, it's alarming coming from, we'll say the echelon that it's coming from. And then the, the kind of enabling that happens, right? Because mm-hmm. what happens now, uh, and you know, it happens in, in our town, like we've had people who, who are of Asian descent who are shopping and they get into a, a little thing in the supermarket parking lot or whatever, right? My, I got the shopping cart before you or whatever. And then uh, the the person on the other end, instead of saying "Hey, a hole," they say "Hey, racial slur," <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And so, so like to me, 
I don't want to I don't want to make light of a very serious thing. I'm more just saying that it was kind of always there, so it's not that surprising that it yeah. happens. But and and I'm sure you can relate to that that sentiment that it was always there. It's not that surprising, but it's it's sad. Oh, absolutely. I remember with uh, I mean, my version of it is thinking about obviously you know the the movement for Black Lives, and uh, I realized, you know, when Michael Brown was killed. I, I literally accepted it. I just went like, yeah, that's what they do. I like brushed it off my shoulder thinking like that is not a surprise to me. And then they left his body there. And then, and then when Freddie Gray happened in Baltimore, I realized that time that I had become complacent with this kind of behavior. Like I just accept it as a norm. I accept it as this is this is the what i call a work week you know what i mean like right it's it's and that's what makes it so hard though exactly why wouldn't you be why wouldn't you be just trying to live your life in a normal way the way that everybody kind of wants to right people just want to live their lives on their own terms in their own quote normal way well and i think that that's the biggest thing that is in everyone's face whether they like it or not right now in this very unique you know peculiar uh, I'll say it, apocalyptic time um, that we're living in, because yeah. to me, it seems I would say, you know, and I think about apocalypse to me, my favorite stories are the stories of words in and of themselves, like the history, the etymology of a word, the the way it has changed in the way that it has been used, whether it be, you know, in that academic way or just colloquial when people just start throwing it out. So people are saying apocalypse left and right, right? To the point that it becomes meaningless because it's being overused. This is what people right. would assume. I don't think that. I just think that it's used so much because that is where everyone is consciously. That is, it's so hard. It's so deep in the, in the, in the collective consciousness right now that of course everyone's saying apocalypse, apocalypse, apocalypse. So apocalypse is an ancient Greek word, I believe, either ancient Greek or Aramaic, but I'm pretty sure Greek. And it means revelation which for the biblical scholars out there is also the last the name of the last book of the bible depending on what kind of bible you have depending on if you agree that the person who wrote that book wasn't crazy as opposed to the people that wrote the rest of the bible but revelation is what apocalypse means so if we think about that metaphorically it just means all will be revealed you know, it just it means literally all will be revealed. So you could look at the book of the Bible as a metaphor for the kinds of things that will be revealed. War, famine, pestilence and death. Those things have been around as long as I can remember. But every single day, every, every single day, a brand new count of people who have become sick or died because of our inability to cooperate. And I guess that to me. What is being revealed is particular, uh, particular specific to each country, right? Everybody in every country, I say, is vomiting up whatever underprocessed trauma they have. <laughs> so, I, I like that expression. <laughs> thank you. So, you know, the countries that are doing the worst, if you will, with the virus in the world, are the countries that have the most underprocessed trauma: the United States, Brazil. Mexico and India. These are the, the four leaders of doing badly <laughs> at this. 
in the world, right? Now, there are other countries that aren't doing so hot, you know, that also have a lot of problems like China, like Russia. Um, but I'm talking about these four, but just because I'm thinking about the wealth discrepancy, you know, the government, you know, populism, all these things are kind of... Now, you have a background in anthropology, yes? Uh, no, but I play one on TV. Damn it! <laughs> but I would assume in some of your work, because um, I... I, you know, consider myself an armchair anthropologist because I like to see all these weather systems. Yeah, so I guess yeah. I'm, I'm naming all of these things, you know, I'm, I'm brainstorming them. And I guess I'm curious about what rains down upon you. <laughs> well, okay. So there's a few, few things, right? Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to badly butcher some quotes, but I think I've, I'll Perfect. capture the spirit Those of Those are my them. favorite kinds. Well, uh, the first is um, from, the author Jim Butcher, he writes a series called The Dresden Files. Yes. Um, uh, very good uh, popcorn, you know, like urban fantasy. And the villains in his, in his uh, stories have a, have a line that they say. They say, apocalypse is not an event. It's a state of mind. Mm. <laughs> right? And, it, and yes. it's basically like, like the villains aren't trying to do one big thing. They're just... They just keep doing bad things until they inevitably win. Mm -hmm, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. That's sort of the thought. Where everyone so, loses. Yeah. So that's the first thought that I'm going to put out there, that apocalypse. And if you hang on to that just for a second. Okay. The second thing is uh, a Dutch historian slash uh, kind of economist, I guess, um, Rudger Bregman, who you may or may not be familiar with. Um, I'm not, but continue. Uh, he, he's the one who's been out there advocating for universal basic income and all of that stuff. Mm, yes. And uh, the, the thing UBI. I will, yeah, UBI. And the thing I will put out that he says is that from the lens of history, um, you know, and we're not looking at specific events like COVID or Spanish plague or whatever, mm -hmm. but through the lens of history, we have it as good now as humanity has ever had it. Okay. Period. Okay. Right. So now, why am I putting these two seemingly competing concepts next to each other? I am. I. I, I assume you're going to bring it together right now. <laughs> yeah. It's because if you look at the challenges of our day, mm -hmm. right? Our challenges involve things that are quote far in the distance. They are. They are challenges that no single person can can take on and defeat wholesale, because they are vast. Mm -hmm. They are either challenges of we'll call them like equity and, and agency and actualization, which are, you know, higher on the hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. or they are things like climate change and war, which are almost like, um, like byproducts of the human condition <laughs> um, mm. that are far in the distance. Right. And, and I, I'm, I know I'm waxing philosophic here. I'm you not trying to get to for having, uh, for not having those needs met. Yeah, also possible, right? Like We're trying to get those needs met. Continue though. But the idea is that either you're dealing with things that aren't basic thrashing at the world's survival, right? Like I need I need to kill this pig so I can eat or I'll die tomorrow. <laughs> right. Right. We're 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 more talking about like, hey, am I really happy at work? Hey, is are are things really fair? 
Hey, mm-hmm. are things fair between different groups of people? Mm. Hey, are we destroying the long-term future and endangering the majority of the population of earth in order to right. enrich ourselves quickly now? Right? Like these are, these are enormous things and yes. it's incredibly hard to feel them emotionally. Right? Like if mm. you, if someone's in a car accident, right? Or, you know, someone with cancer or a friend passes away. Those are like right now, bam, <laughs> right. Yeah, in because the, they're very sudden. You know what it is right in the heart. Yeah. Right. And, and you can, you can process them and you can come up with a tactic to fight it. Mm-hmm. Right. You can, um, you can devise a means to deal with it. Even something like, you know, I lost my job. That's a little bit bigger, but you'll sit down and, you know, you will attempt to fight it. <laughs> Right. That mm. doesn't mean that everyone has the same opportunities for success or anything like that. But as a person, you can you can attempt to struggle against this difficulty. Right. There's nothing a single person can do to ever struggle against against climate change. It is something a society has to do. And in many cases, not even in a, not even a society is enough. It's something like an entire culture or an mm-hmm. entire series of cultures have to do together. And so because of that, it's very easy to not feel it. And because you don't feel it, you don't do anything. But then you intellectually know that it's happening. And what, what, And we humans, we hate cognitive dissonance. <laughs> and so embracing, embracing apocalypse is, uh, think of it as like uh, your cognitive dissonance medication, hmm. right? If you, if you go, well, 2020 is this... 2020 is the work of the devil. <laughs> 2020 is, uh, is the, it's just the, this mythically bad year, right? Or, you know, like we're all doomed. <laughs> so you're if talking you sort about of it like using it like a, almost like a um, absolving themselves, if you will, of responsibility. Like, oh, yeah, like, this can't be helped. It's the apocalypse. What can we do? Yeah, yeah. Like, like I think we're effed. Like, can't, it, nothing we can do. I'm going to go about my regular life that I really enjoy. Not because doing, yes. right? Not because they're terrible people, but because it's really hard to claim responsibility for something that you have absolutely no control over, right? Mm-hmm. And this is why people love to believe that their own decisions are responsible for all their success, when the reality is probably like 30% is their own decisions, and the rest of it are random blind luck <laughs> that mm-hmm. happened right? Maybe because of your decisions, but it's not because you made the decision based on that, you know? What's that old quote? I just heard the rapper T.I. say it the other day, success is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah, yeah. But this is more, you know, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very agency-driven way of looking at it, right? I mean, it's literally true, but it's well, more like... opportunity is, well, yes, it just means that be prepared. Be prepared for when the opportunity presents itself, because that is random you do not have any control yeah. over that but you yeah, do yeah. have control I, of what you can and cannot learn you know or how yep. you how you react to these things right um but you, you were you still making a point though well all i was saying is that it's impossible for you to truly prepare for the opportunities right so you still have to get oh, lucky absolutely. that the opportunity has to intersect so yes. my point is just that People like to take credit for their decisions, mm-hmm. but even if we solve climate change, you can't lay it at the feet of the actions of any people besides small, small actions of, of a society. So people tend to embrace apocalypse, even flippantly and not seriously, because it, it soothes the mind. Because otherwise, you're basically saying, 
we're all on this huge train heading toward the edge of a cliff and uh, we cannot, we can't get organized enough to survive it. And that would be like, that would, that would break everybody, right? Like, <laughs> Well, it is breaking everybody. That, that, that is the exact thing that is breaking everybody is that these are issues that seem, well, they're insurmountable in a lot of ways. We've brought ourselves to, we have, that's why I go like, you know, they're asking us to participate in a, in a mass experiment of cooperation. And the history of this country, <laughs> there is no way that was ever going to work. You know what I mean? But the thing is, that is very unique to me. So when I say apocalypse, you know, I don't mean it flippantly. I'll tell you that. But I do know a lot of people who use it that way. And who... I'm half and half. (laughs) Well, here's my thing. I I kind of look at it as, you know, and you you said agency before. And I kind of am trying to, to see it as that. Because if apocalypse is not literal, you know, people go like, oh, it's the end of the world. I look at it as it's the end of a world. The world in which that we have made is ending in some way or, or yeah. other, whether we like it or not. But we do have a choice. I mean, the world's going to continue. Whether yes. we survive it or not is, you know. Exactly, exactly. And, and then the people who are going to, to decide what world will be born out of the, you know, out of the remains of, of the one that has passed, that I feel like is what is in some way being discussed or the the seeds of ideas that can grow into all kinds of different directions are happening right now that what what's going to happen in a sense could be random unless of course there's some sort of intentionality to it but it is like like you said it's not just society it's it's like it's a it's a interdependence at a level that i don't think that the planet has had to get on board with the planet the full planet has had to get on board with since something like World War Two, you know, um, but this is like because climate change is something that has already affected everybody. It's not like, oh, it's coming. It's here. The people that yeah. are suffering the most are the global poor, the global south. Basically, if you're under the, the equator, people above the equator could care less about you, which is horrible. But financially, economically, governmentally, that is the way that the world has operated up until this point, right? So now that it's spreading, that there's fire tornadoes in California and hurricanes and earthquakes, you know, in Oklahoma, people in places that who could, who were like, oh, that's not me, you know, because people do have a hard time caring about anything that doesn't directly affect them. Um, but now that it does, people want to do something about it. It's too late. So <laughs> that's the question is what's next, right? But here's what I have to say to you, or here's what I want to put to you. I do want to kind of transition before we part ways to kind of. You don't want to just talk about the worst thing? I don't think it's the worst thing because I think that, like, it's very strange. Look, there's precedent for how things like this have happened. There have been, you know, huge, invi- like, changes in all kinds of cultures around the world after a giant pestilence like this or some sort of genocide i feel like that's what's happening right now is that like it's not only like a giant man killing extinction level event disease but also every country is imploding economically um and 
everyone's the wealth disparity is on the table you know the the housing crisis that's i feel like is on the on the rise it's about to happen they just are like we're just gonna have to evict everyone in the middle of a pandemic who cares (laughs) there's just too many things that have never happened to me have never happened all at once happening like this before does that make sense yeah so i don't necessarily know what to do about it but i guess that any i go well anything that we've been doing up until this point should just be thrown the fuck out (laughs) because it's not working if it's it's like that applies to so many things but i also apply that to so many me like i look at my own life and my own patterns my own habits routines or lack thereof as the things that need to be thrown out i'm not if i the way i've been thinking about them is not even usable because i must be thinking about them with bias you know like that's the biggest thing is that like it's hard to solve the problems of the world when the biases in which we're trying to solve those problems are the reason these problems exist in the, in this in the first place it's it's a re, it's a real snake eating its own tail kind of exactly <laughs> so my question for you ming is are there things like that in your own personal life <laughs> that you're willing to share that are the things that you know i always say as above so below so this is this is the state of each country the state of each hemisphere the state of the planet but for each person in their own heart of hearts i feel like something like this is happening in a microcosmic kind of way and i'm wondering if you have things like that going on for you i i don't know i mean i mean i i talked about me being arrogant earlier and i think <laughs> and i think I, i'm inclined to believe uh that I probably got the right of it. I, I think I suffer from very much the same thing that m- most people do, which is like, I sit here, hmm, 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 I, I know all the answers, but do I do much about it? Mm, perhaps not, hmm. right? And and some of it is because, you know, exactly like I said, if the problem is beyond your own conceivable ability to deal with, like, and y- what you do doesn't matter, why do it? But I think um, for me, that perspective really changed when I had my kids. Um, you know, a wise friend told me, he's like, he's like, the best thing any of us can do is add one more good person into the world. Hmm. Right. And that doesn't mean have kids, although I do think <laughs> that's a part of it. It's like, you know, your kids, your friends, whatever, like take the responsibility of being the good role model for everybody around you, right? Win their trust. You know, you, you, you talk about like, you know, company meetings are boring. Well, why aren't you the one bringing that ray of sunshine, <laughs> right? You're talking mm. about, um, hey, I'm, I'm going out like, nobody says hi to anyone here. Why aren't you the one saying hi, right? Like, I know it's a little bit cheesy and cliche to be like, be the change you want, but it, it's really just, just, take how do i put it take the free wins right like it costs Mm. you nothing to say hi we're we're not asking you to donate a quarter of your net wealth right like like just um it's not it doesn't cost you that much to to be a be a good role model versus a mediocre role model (laughs) well you know i that's that's really fantastic I, i i you don't have to necessarily undercut it ming you know i i think that 
that is the kind of information I'm looking for. I'm just kind of curious about what's helping people get through, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to qualify it. If be the change you want to see in the world is what you got to say, say it. You, <laughs> well, you the point I'm making Asian is... Asian man, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The point I'm making, though, is that the one thing we do all have under our control and literally no one can take it from us, no matter how many difficulties we face, is our attitude. Right? Now, mm -hmm. obviously, people who've had it rough, <laughs> it's harder. But the one thing that no, not, nobody can take from you is the attitude that you bring to the table. And while I am privileged enough to be able to control my attitude easily, I will do so. <laughs> hmm. Right? Because there's plenty of people for whom, yes, they do have control over it, but it is harder for them for any number of trauma, tragedy, situation. But as long as I am in that position of privilege where it's easy for me to have a good attitude, I will do so. And it is good for me, it's good for my mental health, and it's good for everybody around me. There's literally no downside. Interesting. So it's very much you're a do unto others as you would have them do unto you type of No, person. I'm a do unto others as they want me to do unto them <laughs> within, <laughs> within a moral framework. This has gotten way too convoluted. Um, but I was with you until, the, until that part. No, I'm joking. But no, I, you know, that's, that's, that's... I love pedantry. What can I say? This is actually um, quite refreshing, I guess I want to say. And quite also the opposite of what you were saying about the cognitive dissonance. So this seems like this is your means of combating that cognitive dissonance. Well, you're talking to the one guy who's crushing 2020. right now yeah i love a puffy face <laughs> your puff mommy right now That's a <laughs> my mom uh, likes to make fun of me and sincerely ask me if i got in a fight when i wake up in the morning <laughs> what because your face is puffy yeah she'll be like oh my god did you get in a fight because like my eyes are puffy well i can't really tell of uh, oh, right good. now so that's oh, one of the best things i think that's that's happened about pandemic america <laughs> that, wait, wait, do you have morning face right now because your face looks normal um thank you i look way more handsome after i more woke up uh <laughs> you know i look normal right now which is my version of puffy and mm -hmm. then later in the day sterling k brown then after that idris elba <laughs> then smile oh, asleep i'm idris elba from five to seven <laughs> <laughs> And then yes. <laughs> From dusk till dawn, I am. <laughs> I I'm so Idris. Um, you know, I found out where he lives. What? Yeah, address Elba. Okay, that's all. Oh, I, oh. I just wanted to tell you the worst joke ever. Uh, <laughs> I do have an inside joke with a friend from back home where we both had like a like a fake crush on the same girl like pseudo crush like you don't actually talk to the person we're just like oh my gosh she's so beautiful and one time he walked by 
while my friend was driving and she later told me she was like oh my gosh i saw her crush today and the first thought i had was get out of my dreams <laughs> get into my car and so i think that like every time i see like a crush that i don't actually talk to i just that song plays in my head now <laughs> great song great song um who is it by i always want to say it's I by don't know. I almost want to say it's by Billy Ocean. Get out of my dreams and get into my car. It's a classic. Because that, he's got a great, I love his voice, whoever it is. If it's Billy Ocean, you you need to listen to, I mean, you've heard Caribbean Queen. It's the same guy. Oh, okay. You're right. It is Billy Ocean then. Yeah. Like, as soon as you said that, I heard. Yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah. He had one of those voices, because I want to say that he's he's maybe from the islands, maybe. <laughs> But this dude, I mean, this guy is a great singer and he had like a short career in the 80s. It's it's the music industry is is, you know, wildly unfair. <laughs> you know, bitch out. What do you say? It chews you up and it spits out. Chews you up and it spits out. Speaking of speaking of those things, how are you feeling this this lovely day? I'm good. I feel like uh we incidentally started off my day good by making me get up early and be like alert. Like I'll be up at this time, but not like, oh, I have to talk to someone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like we're off to a good start. How are you feeling? Well, I also I also well, I'm feeling the same way, but I also like to court that discomfort, that awkwardness of like, I don't know how I feel, I don't know how I look, I definitely don't know how I sound. Let's do this. <laughs> I like to court that um, that chaos. You know what I mean. I'm courting the chaos. That's that's my middle name, Baron. Courting chaos, Vaughn. I did have a like short flashback this morning of like, I guess even just because I've been working, but I've been working from home, so I haven't had to get up. Mm. You have to get up and like roll over, and like you said, I have to like type or be, but I don't have to like actively, you know, wash my face even or anything. And so even the little bit of having to like prepare to speak into a microphone and have you look at me gave me a flashback of like getting ready for stuff in the morning. Like I haven't had to get ready for anything in the morning. Yeah, it's the same for me. And, you know, now with me and the kids, like I barely had a way to get up and get going. And now there's like two little beings who are running around who can't feed themselves and can't do all kinds of things that, I can't do. I can't feed myself. <laughs> You're like, what are we gonna eat? You're like, what are we gonna eat? Yeah, but that's it, it's one of the best things. Well, one of the best things that's happened is that like just 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 purely remembering that uh, you know, I have to eat or they have to eat, remember makes me remember the opposite. You know, I'm like, hmm, they look hungry. All right. Your younger counterparts are having the same a situation with our pets because I was talking to a friend on Twitter and we're like, yeah, I'll like look over and watch my cat drink water and be like, what's that? Good call. <laughs> Good one. Good one. I need some milk. I need you're some milk. You're keeping me healthy. And this hairball's been bugging me. <laughs> I did need to do a pass of dry heaves later. <laughs> well, speaking of dry heaves and um, tasks at hand, now that's what I call the transition. Um, I wanted to hear from you, of course, you know, what you gained and lost from listening 
to these two interviews and why you think they might fit together. So we listened to Ming Zhang, yeah. you know, uh, right this moment, and we're about to go into a transition of the uh, Voltzes, the uh, Anya Voltz, who is a young comic, and Mickey, her mother. The um, the Volts duo. The Vol the duo. I mean, Volts always also. I mean, it already sounds like you know electricity kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's like, what are the Voltses? Oh my goodness! I know talking about. So you know, I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to talk to them while they were together. Anya is a comic who lives in New York, but she went out to Vermont to to see her mother for long point of this pandemic. So this this interview is from the past. The past. I love these. I'm getting to love these more and more in how people are speaking about the timeline of this year. Go on, tell it. And like just saying, oh, well, it was March and then I came here because I realized like kind of that settling in time that uh, refers to where we didn't really know what was going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to go to Vermont and hang out with my mom. And like looking back on that, and thinking, oh yeah, in June when we really started, not we, but like people started really being like, okay, this isn't going to be like a summer long thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then listening to that in November was really surreal. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. here we are in the end of November, beginning of December, the end of 2020. Right. Because she's talking in a time where she's like, okay, like we're writing this out. Things are getting kind of gnarly. Like mm -hmm. they're. I starting to shut stuff down, so I'm gonna head out. And that was five months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's been a very long five months. I mean, I guess this this the lockdown started in March. Mm -hmm. And so that's only like two and a half-ish, three months into the year before we shut sure. it down. <laughs> I know. It was like mid-March, I wanna say, that like this whole thing shut down. I know that everyone's concept of time is different and it's so relative, but it's like, it's so, it, I can't believe the year is over, but also Mark, that went so fast. Yes. Like listening to her talk, I was like, that was in June? What, like, yeah, I don't know. It's just all so funny to think about. And what about Ming too? Because that's a little bit in the past, not as far, I don't think it's as far uh, ago, no. as long ago. No, <laughs> it wasn't. And Ming's, I feel like, and maybe I associated time more with Anya's because we all kind of not do similar things legit, but just like comics talking about mm, how mm. time has affected shows and road gigs and all that. But Ming, I feel like didn't, was more uh, ambiguous in terms of when it was, except for how um he felt about the climate of like black lives matter and all that mm -hmm. i think that's the only thing that really was like telling about but yeah so the other thing that i uh kind of thought about when listening to these two things that kind of was a bigger tie-in was um ming saying the add one good person to the world thing mm. and I know that he said it's so funny because he kind of like immediately uh, 
like answered the question I had in my head because his friend, I think he was saying, mentioned as like, oh, like if you have a child, that's like the best thing you can do. And I was like, nah, dog. But because um, <laughs> well, and my whole thinking behind that is like there are in terms of adding one good person in the world being a child that you make, it's like there are a bunch of children that people made the wrong way and you can help any of those children. There are people walking around that look like adults and their children that you can help. So <laughs> that was like my whole thing. But um, that whole idea of just existing and having conversations and having that be your good works and that kind of tying into what I feel like First, okay, also sidebar, Mickey is like the most amazing person. She's so cool. Speaking of parents. Listening to her, yes. Like she's, I don't know. She just said so many things that were just like, Mickey's the shit, dude. Um, Well, then let me ask you this. um, Because we're going to go into this interview right now. What is it that you want people to listen for while while they listen to this? I want them to listen for... The things that will, I want to say like the things that you'll remember, but it's like the things, the things that will carry weight more long-term. Okay. So you felt like you heard some things that will, that you'll keep long-term. Oh yeah, for sure. Like there are things that the second they came out of Mickey's mouth, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life now, the way Anya does. Because that's her mom, and she got to hear. You know what I mean? Like, okay, um, I do. I do know what you mean. And with that, with that, yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. What you're gonna say? Well, I just because I feel like in the beginning it was kind of random and like maybe won't make as much sense. But I do want to say that like, um, where Ming lands on you having the responsibility to like he says oh i feel like i have all these solutions i'm sitting on my high horse saying like oh we could just do this or let's do this but not actually doing anything about it Mm -hmm. and i feel like a lot of the advice that mickey gives in the end kind of is that resolve of like yeah go out live that life have those experiences those are the only way that you'll feel motivated to actually take that action it's mm-hmm. like we're all sitting inside and watching things happen you feel and you're hurt and you're upset and you want to do something but you're still just sitting at home watching all of these things from that happen from the outside but if you go out and march or see anybody else cry or see that passion in anybody else's eyes all of a sudden you have a different kind of fire in you Mm-hmm. And I think that living those life experiences is kind of something Mickey speaks to in the end. Okay. So, because Ming is a parent, although his children yeah. are young. So right. it's almost like, because Mickey's a parent, but obviously yeah. Anya's her child. You know, she's uh-huh. got she's got more than one. But right. like, so it's almost like she's grown up into, you know, she's, you know, she's more grown in the sense of being able to parent, but also let go of what she can't control anymore. Because I feel like Ming and me, we're in the place where we're still figuring out what we want these children, who we want these children to be, which really is figuring out who we are and then and what we stand for so that we can know what to impart. And then Mickey has done all of that work. But at the same time, Anya's her own person. You know what I mean? Is living her own life. You're not there every single day all the time. And you have to let it go. You know, you... Right in terms of like, 
where Mickey is as a person just being more mature and have has lived more life, but also everything that she says and what her practices are and like meditation and things, like you can see that in the way that she accepts the world. Because she's talking about when she was in the same place that you and Ming are in now, and she was recognizing that pushback and being like, oh, that isn't the kind of human you're going to be. All right. <laughs> and she's like talking about when Anya was little and she made that recognition in her as an individual. It was like, oh, okay, that's the kind of person I made. Good to know. Mm, <laughs> so mm, like, mm. She as a person has so much power to like have that recognition in life and when something is the way it's going to be because that's the way it is. And allowing that to be that way. I don't know. She's awesome, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Here's the vaults. What the fuck is self-care? I think I get it finally. It's like going to wineries. I think I kind of get it. You know what I mean? But like, what is it? I start every day with like a nice four-hour meltdown. (laughs) (laughs) I follow that with another four-hour meltdown. (laughs) Sometimes I take a quick break to laugh at a meme and then I go back (laughs) to a meltdown. Um, and you know, I'm, it's a super balance. It's a great, she's right. It's great to have a routine. Um, and I finally have that, uh, in New York, I was working out a bunch at the beginning of quarantine because, you know, in like April and May, we had literally no idea what was like, how long we were signing up for. Um, we just didn't know. Like, I just was trying to keep myself busy. I was waiting more than I was finding a new routine, mm-hmm, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, I know a few... I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I do know a few um, comedians that are, you know, your age, if you will. And so it's kind of like... And I have also been that in New York. And so I remember thinking, like, I cannot imagine having to be in New York... In you just kept texting closet. me like go to Vermont, go to Vermont, go to Vermont, and like get out of get out of there. <laughs> yeah, because it's just kind of like because I just was thinking about people I knew in New York, especially people who are young with roommates who are you know hustling to make money. And if this all of this stuff is shutting down, it's like you're. I just kept thinking like everyone is cooped up, especially comics, because most of us have chosen um, a place to live based on the fact that we won't be there much, you know? Um, yeah. And we go like, ah, this is really cheap. I'm just going to sleep here. It doesn't matter. And Literally. then suddenly it's like, everyone stay inside forever. And you're like, what? <laughs> but I can't even go outside without having to go through a hallway and staircases and elevators and closed yeah. spaces just to get outside. And then uh, to ahead. make matters yeah. worse, my landlord raised rent in April and locked the roof. So we couldn't get on the roof anymore. Oh, were you working out on the roof? I was. I mean, oh, okay. I was working out anywhere. Like I was working out. I was. I started running again, so I would mm. just run at like off peak times. Not that there was really peak times in the middle of the pandemic, but you know, like I would uh, try to run at times where it wasn't totally necessary to wear a mask because there wouldn't wouldn't be people I'd be running by. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like. I found ways to kind of be able to get fresh air and exercise. Um, and not put anyone else at risk or myself at risk. But yeah, I was going on the roof. I was working out in my room. I have a, in my, in New York, my room is just big enough to like, um, have a bed and a, like some furniture and then mm. at leftovers, just enough room to like lay a, a yoga mat. <laughs> and oh, then you yeah. just can't really do like, you know, uh, any 
workouts or poses that take up much more space than a yoga mat does. So it wasn't ideal, but I was making it work, you know, because I was like, whatever, you got to keep busy. And I just wanted to like not get sucked into a depression hole. Mm -hmm, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I was writing a lot at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, yeah, I did a ton of freelance writing, but then all the freelance places stopped accepting stuff because they weren't getting advertisers anymore because of, it, there was like, it was this weird, there was a weird moment where all of a sudden no one was taking writing anymore. And so then I was like writing just for myself. And needless to say, uh, based on my joking answer, both the working out and the writing have fallen by the wayside a little bit in, in the more recent months of the pandemic. Um, mostly replaced by, I've been hanging out with my family a lot more. Like I've been, now I actually have people to be around and like mm -hmm. spaces mm -hmm. outdoors to be in. So I'm not having to fill as much time with working out and writing. Um, like I'm with, I'm hanging out with my dad a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. um and i'm hanging out with my brother a lot and we went camping we went to maine we we've been doing all these oh, like yeah. isolated social distanced uh like mini vacations <laughs> while the weather's still nice so it's like you know it's been filled by nice good stuff but i have also kind of been feeling more and more at a loss so that's what the pandemic has brought to me is like i just feel i at the beginning was just kind of waiting for it to go back to normal. And now I'm like, if it goes back to normal, I don't even know what my normal will be anymore. Like, I don't, I'm like very much okay, at a crossroads. You, it was like a massive interruption in your career. Yeah. Literally so much was about to happen in my comedy career. And now none of it is happening anymore, which mm -hmm. is fine because none of it was like gonna, I don't think any of it was my big break per se, but it was bigger stuff than I'd ever gotten before. Mm -hmm. And um, the only thing that is still existing is that I, I, I got a manager right before um, oh. basically, and I still have that manager. So, but that's the only thing I got all these other things <laughs> right before quarantine that are gone now. Um, well, if, if I may, you know, I hate to, I, I, and I don't want this to sound um, patronizing, but I feel like you're going to be okay. <laughs> Um, I also no. I also think I'm going to be okay, which is also why I'm letting myself take this forced break. Even my manager was like, ne "There's never been a better time to take a break if you need a break right now. So don't feel like you need to be pumping out anything in, in this moment. Like, do it when you want." Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's kind of like this. This thing happens, especially with young comedians, uh, and I and I hate to keep saying that over and over again. I know. No, please call me young. I I love it. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm well, because. This year, <laughs> yeah, hey, the, I'm it, aging it, rapidly before all of our eyes. Oh uh, yes, that, oh yes, that's what it is. We're all just like, well, she's aging too fast. No, <laughs> it's it's just that like it can be misleading to feel as if um, there's this need, especially when you're when you're breaking in and you're starting out, to constantly be making things and to constantly be creating and constantly be thinking of ideas and constantly thinking of ways to monetize literally anything that might come into your head especially if you don't have money you know and you're looking and you have to pay rent but you know the irony is the more you live your actual life the more you will have to write about so it's like sometimes people and i used to say this way back in the <laughs> i used to say this way back in the day i always say that because i'm like i'm quoting myself oh man i was such, <laughs> such a wise student um but it's like sometimes art artists spend a little too much time 
trying to represent the life that we are living instead of living the actual life. Mm -hmm. So if we are, because, you know, your well will run dry. You can only report and put out so much before you need actual more experiences. So there's always That's that why balance. why we have so many TV shows about stand-up comedy. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> stand-up comics aren't doing anything but stand-up. It's like, no, go... <laughs> Go live your life, you know, like that's the irony is that like we we the point of all of this is to speak about things that hopefully many people who aren't like us at all will relate to. Right. So the more sometimes the irony is like if you can get too specific, it's a it's a hard balance because sometimes the specific is the universal unless the the joke is how specific you're being or you're counting on a reference, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. the, all of that is just to say that, like. I think that, you know, those routines, those rituals that that you're that, you know, are being discussed, adding those back into your life, especially when you're with your family and you have all that nature to kind of take in. It's it's still all about being present, I guess. Um, Mickey, your thoughts on what I just said. <laughs> back to you, Mickey. It is all about being present, I think, especially in this in the in a pandemic situation where looking to the i mean not it's not just the pandemic it's everything right now yes i mean the whole country is literally on fire figuratively on fire but some of them are tornado fires yeah yeah <laughs> God. and some of them are floods yeah. yeah it's it's you know so looking if, if you're i mean if you're stuck in the past that is not never too useful and if you're looking to the future, which a lot of people do, especially if you're goal oriented and, you know, looking for your career and blah, 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 that right now is just um, black hole, right? You have no idea. You can't really plan. So it's really almost telling us, it's like the universe is telling us, you know, okay, yeah. now come back to this moment and just be here. Mm -hmm. Just be here and experience life and don't, don't think back, don't think forward, just be here. It doesn't mean that 24 hours a day, but, you know, just keep coming back just to now. Are you okay right now? Well, Something maybe, I would like to okay. hear your thoughts on that he said, though. Um, do you agree that I will be okay? <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> well, and this is what I, I actually, this is, that, that's even related to the, my next question. Thing, because, <laughs> because, Anya, you're very American. And I know a lot of Europeans. I know, well, I know a lot of people from a lot of different countries, but let's, it's like- Okay, worldly. I'm worldly as, as fuck. But like, the point that I'm trying to make is, Americans, we're specifically obsessed with productivity. We're obsessed mm -hmm. with working. We're obsessed with, quote unquote, just, just making things. We're, we're busy bodies. It's yeah. such a big, I think it's, it's, it's just an ingrained, this Protestant work ethic, they call it, like just things that have been ingrained in the psyche of our country for long, a long time. But I think even that, even that is breaking down because people, I feel like, just don't know what to do with themselves if they're not working all the time or working mm -hmm. towards something all the time. So that idea of being present is not something that we culturally as a country value. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, Mickey, do you, do you see, I guess I'm curious about, what do you agree with those things that I'm saying about like these are things that I think are American qualities because I feel like some of the things that Anya is expressing here are capitalistic anxieties, you know, but like it's it's this is the world that we live in. You know what I mean? It is a, it, a money makes the world go round. And now that there's not a lot of money, the world is stopping. So what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I think 
I think that's exactly it. When I first came to the States, I was stunned by the doing attitude of people here and how little people just relaxed. And I'm, I'm probably very relaxed by Dutch standards. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you know, working more than four hours a day to me is bullshit. You know, <laughs> mm. uh, you just want to, you know, life is just to live and we've become, a, this is a country of people who are living to work instead of working to live. Is that how it is? Ooh, right. Yes, that's, that's, yeah. that's actually, yeah, that's the yeah. saying. And like, I mean, I had a friend who's Canadian, but still similar culture. Yeah. Who was who in her seventies and still working. She was a, you know, was a coaching client of mine and I kept, asking her why don't you retire right well i don't know if i have enough saved yet so i can live into my 90s mm. right oh yeah. yeah and then one day in one winter she opens her garage door and she dies of a heart attack so i mean literally mm -hmm. people are planning towards the future constantly rather than like what do i need right now mm -hmm. you know and she wasn't she lived in canada she would have been fine retiring it's not right. like states where you and even here, you would end up, you would be fine. I mean, it, you might not be in luxury, but ultimately, you you know, unless you have major problems, you you would be fine. And this woman had family. It's not like mm -hmm. she was homeless, you know. So she was Canadian, but was working in the living in the states. No, no, she lived in Canada. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm, because it, it it is very. Sometimes I feel like it's it's not only cultural, but that also shows up in like a policy kind of way sometimes just in terms of like where we decide, I mean, we're the only country in the world that our healthcare is tied to employment, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's another reason that so much of this is a disaster. So it's kind of like we have, I just always feel, I feel like the United States has put ourselves in this particular situation to very much not be prepared for any of this in any kind <laughs> of, we're not prepared for this on a practical sense, an emotional sense, a spiritual sense, in, a, in an intellectual sense, and in an economic sense. Like it's well, just the first thing I noticed when I came here was that people didn't take prolonged vacations. People would take like a weekend here, four days there, and then they would be like people would fly to Paris to go shopping for four days and come back. Yeah, like, yeah. Holy cow! I would be. That's not a vacation to me. No, that's it work. Isn't. You know, and <laughs> in Europe, because people don't get vacation here, they don't get paid vacation, or they get very little. But in Europe, standard four, five, six weeks. You know, and when children in the summer vacation, entire families will travel and, and go camping in a campground for four weeks. You know, there is a there is an actual people actually know how to take downtime. Yeah, and I think it also is it's reflective of what we of how we value the the populace, I guess, right? So it's mm -hmm. like I guess I was trying to figure out like a way to, to just beautifully tie all this into <laughs> a gorgeous multicolored bow um but you know a rainbow bow um yeah i mean it's it's that i had a friend who um well she was swedish and i went to visit her and she had this job for years that was because the woman who had that job had a baby and in sweden they will pay you for two years mm -hmm. and they will guarantee your job will be there when you 
are done taking, you know, raising your child. So it's like, to me, I'm like, okay, so this is a state policy of just valuing women and the, uh, the, the fact of motherhood. Like, oh, you, you had a child? You probably need some support and you probably need some help and because that child is now a citizen of this country and if we value you, we value that child. But I feel like in the States, it's like, you had a baby? Good luck, whore! It's just kind <laughs> of like... I, I mean, I feel like that's the truth. My mom was a single black woman with me. So it's just like historically, good luck whore is what I feel like she was always getting on a policy level. Just just constant devaluing of her humanity and the fact that she had a child outside of marriage or whatever, you know, people were putting on her. Of course, she is going to take all that. You know, she's going to internalize all that. She wasn't old enough because she had me when she was young to put up those blocks you know and because of our specific family history like that's another thing but like yeah I guess I'm trying to get get around to what you think Mickey um, and this is a different question for both of you because you're different people so I guess I'm curious we are? You yeah mean? you are you are I didn't know if you understood that until this podcast <laughs> but yeah I guess Anya I'm curious about like you know because I, I do sense that that dread and that that worry but you're also doing this this particular comedian thing, which I'll extemporate on right now. A long time ago, a friend of mine took a class with Lewis Black um, and imparted some knowledge to me. And the way that he talked about writing stand-up, he said, if you think of all the different aspects of your personality as slices of a pie, then your comedian character is two or three of those slices exaggerated. Now, the thing is, though, because comedians are obsessed with this authenticity, we're obsessed with authenticity, we're obsessed with speaking truth. And so sometimes that these, these insecurities, these anxieties, which are, you know, whatever one is feeling, especially like right now, like it's very easy to, it, yes, of course, we want to talk about those things, but sometimes talking about them kind of can get us in a loop with them, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. Comedians were always constantly filtering things through the lens of a character that is made up of us. <laughs> but sometimes it becomes the only way that we can see things. Um, my favorite writer, well, not one of my favorite, he's one of my favorite writers, but my favorite line in all of literature, even though it was written in Russian, um, is a play called The Seagull by Anton Chekhov. There's this character who is an, is an older man, he's a writer, he's very experienced, and there's this starstruck fan of his asking him, like, what is it like to write? Well, like, you know, she's just like, it's amazing, you're like a successful, professional, amazing person, that just, like, it's just feel incredible and great all the time. And he's like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's, it's, it never stops. He's like, I look at a cloud, it reminds me of a memory I have to make out on note. I look at a tree, it looks like an old man's beard I have to make down a note. Everything can always turn into something. And then he says this line that always makes me go, <laughs> He says, I am a cannibal consuming my own life. Mm -hmm. In the sense of, it's very hard to be present mm -hmm. because I'm constantly taking things and trying to think of what else they could be instead mm -hmm. of just being. Yeah. So... Mickey, your thoughts. <laughs> Not sure if I have any at the moment. Okay, Anya, your thoughts. 
Well, you know what's interesting is that is like I definitely identify obviously with that a little bit, but I actually find myself often feeling like I'm not as much of a writer or as much of a comedian because of how frequently I am extremely just living my life. And then I'm like, oh my God, I didn't write a single joke about anything that happened today. And I'm like, and then I look at like if I was with a friend all day and we were doing stuff and I was just hanging out, I look at their Twitter and they wrote, they had like three tweets go viral about the day we had. And I didn't even think to write anything about it yet. And I, you know, eventually will write something about some things, not every little thing in my life, but, um, and so you feel some kind of shame about this? Sometimes, yeah. That oh, I'm not like... no. I, <laughs> I was living my life and being in the moment, and I didn't tell everyone on the internet what was happening. But no, that's just an example. Like, I don't okay. mean that I feel shame that I didn't write tweets specifically about it. That's just something that you can immediately see someone else do something about. But here's, like, a better example is if I'm on the road with somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember when we used to tour? <laughs> um, It'll happen I'm on again. the road with somebody we'll be doing a bunch of shows together and I'll like, you know, I'll do my regular set. I might riff about like the audience or the room or something, but frequently the people that I'm with will have jokes ready to go about like what we did that day or like what the town is like in this way that I'm like, Oh, I should be doing that. But I just like, I was too busy doing what we were doing today. I didn't even think about it that way. Mm. Um, And so I feel like, you know, there are some, and I, I do also do that. I just don't do it to the extent that I notice other comedians doing it. Um, well, it just sounds like you just are still growing. I mean, like, that's the thing. This just sounds like you got some lessons. Like, you go like, oh, okay. It's not that you should be doing that. You just know that it can be done. And you're, Yeah, and yeah. I do do it. I just, I guess what I mean is I just, I'm not cannibalizing my own life at the, at the rate that the pe- my peers and my, uh, you know, the people I look up to tend to be but i also i'm um i don't know i tend to notice things that i'm not doing more than i notice things that i am doing. Mm, i know know exactly what you mean (laughs) there are i think there are plenty of good habits i do have with writing and with comedy but one of the habits that i've noticed other people have that i don't have as much especially if i'm in a good state of mind if i'm feeling shitty you know I'm writing jokes about every waking moment of the day. But if I'm, like, just having a nice day, maybe I'll write jokes about this later. But I don't, I'm not thinking of them in the moment. Okay, that's the key. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I, that's, this is a thing that I am also practice. I'm a very creative person, but I can be unfocused. So I always liken myself to a leaky faucet. Like, at all times, just water's coming out of me. You know, ideas, ideas, ideas. But the thing is, is that it's not necessarily I'm trying to think of it less like the faucet doesn't have to always be on. I have to choose the moments in which I I turn the faucet on. I had some friends write memoirs recently, and it is not easy. It does not sound like it's a fun thing because you really have to dig and think about what you have been through. Now, for them, they're thinking about things that are 5, 10, 15, 20, you know, 30, 35 years ago. But you're talking about, I didn't write anything today. But I'm saying, like, routines and rituals. So it's like that writing time. I don't know. It is a matter of, because it sounds like you're talking about productivity. But you also are comparing yourself to people who have processes that you actually don't know. 
you don't know what their process is. You're just going like, how are they doing this? And I'm not. And I don't think there's any real reason to compare yourself to them. Yeah. Um, but I know exactly what you're talking about because I do the same thing all the time. Just that like, how did they tweet this thing? How did they make that one thing when we were together that is now <laughs> 30,000 views in two days? What the hell? I'm like, I was there. Like you said something from my conversation with you. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. But like, I don't know. It's a it's a hard, weird balance. I don't have an answer. Uh, I'm just telling you the things that I also I tell myself. Though. Yeah, go which, ahead, Mickey. Which person enjoyed the day better? Yeah. Probably me. Ooh. And what's more important? Yeah. That that's, you know. <laughs> that's where my values lie <laughs> well yeah i mean that that's i guess in a grander sense to tie this back to the like pandemic and whatever like it's been forcing us to confront um like that's something that i was dealing with kind of in my comedy career from the get-go is just mm -hmm. that i'm not necessarily minding my life as it's happening as often as maybe some of my peers are I definitely mind my life i mean as somebody who is in some of my jokes she can attest mm -hmm. But I, um, the pandemic and, and the, you know, how much that affects your quality of life has like kind of forced me to, I don't know, have more of a like um, awareness around how much my like comedy process, mm -hmm. whatever that may be in any given moment. And I'm only six years in now, so I'm still like, I mean, that's a long time, but as far as comedians like to talk about it, I'm very much still a baby. Um, I think that stuff is kind of irrelevant these days, but I have, I can say theories about that that we don't have to get into, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I agree for the most part, but you know, whatever. It's, I, I, I would like to think I'm still a baby. I would like to get better at it. You are, you are. But, uh, like, the, the forced break and, mm -hmm. and the force break from performing live performances. And of course, some people are still performing outdoor shows and stuff, but you know, in, in a really regular consistent way, mm -hmm. we're all taking a break. And for some people it's been a forced um, pivot, you know, some people just, okay, I'll do all this online stuff then, or I'll do like a lot of people have just taken that energy and put it into something else. Mm -hmm. And I've done that a little bit, but I've very much more taken that energy and put it into just kind of examining what I'm doing in the first place <laughs> um, rather than just channeling all of that energy into like more comedy somewhere else. I've just been kind of like more introspective about when this is all quote unquote over or, you know, when we're in some kind of version of normal again, yeah. whatever that is, what my life is going to look like and what comedy yes. and writing, how that fits into that life. Mm -hmm. um, rather than I think before I was, uh, seeing how my life could fit er around comedy, if that makes sense. Well, I have a theory for you, and I, I, I'll, I'll, we'll leave with this because I'm, I'm curious to hear Mickey's take on this as well. Um, you know, and I, I, I am going to, I have to say that I quote, I'm, I'm quoting myself because I have said this, what I'm about to say, I've said on the podcast many times. Um, I can't help but compare this crisis to World War II in a lot of ways because. So many people are comparing it to World War II in ways that they, <laughs> but in practical ways too, because certain things, events, you know, have been canceled. Um, like things are being moved that don't get moved, like Olympics. 
And people go like, this hasn't happened since World War II. That factory has not been shut down since World War II. This is the first time they canceled this event since World War II. <laughs> constantly, constantly, constantly it's coming up because it's a global thing. But I guess my, my, my lesson or my, my advice to you, because this is what I'm doing, Anya, is you go, well, what the heck is... To me, I always think comedy is going to happen. Content, you know, people are going to need to hear stories. The, the way in which they will heal the stories changes, right? I always feel like there are a lot of comics who in a different time would have been a fully different artist. Like, I know comics, I go like, that person in a different time would have been a poet. That person would have been a dancer. This person yeah. would have been a director. This person would have been a painter. Like, it's like, but we, because comedy stand-up exists now, we gravitate towards that. But the venues in which we do them will change, but comedy or storytelling will always remain. But in times like this, like World War II, right, and after it's over, there's always an interesting movement of arts and creativity that is born from everyone having to have this giant pause. Post-World War II, there was this boom of creativity. Post-Vietnam, there was this boom of creativity. Post-World War I, there was this boom of creativity. After World War One is how you get Weimar Republic, you know, like, so it's kind of, I feel like we're possibly, hopefully, maybe going to head towards something like that. Mickey, do you see any other kind of, or have you thought of any other things that you've compared this to? Um, I, I haven't so much compared the things, but what you just said, I think makes a lot of sense because in my personal life on a small scale, that's what the conclusion I came to when I, I procrastinate a lot. And I, I stopped looking at procrastination as a bad thing because I would notice that after the procrastination had run itself out, I would have a burst of creativity and I would, that's when I did my best work. So this is like a forced procrastination. Yes. Wait, can I quote her a, a quote that she's always said in my life about procrastination? Please. No, no, we've, we've heard enough of your quotes. Now let's hear a Mickey <laughs> quote. Yes, please. Uh, well, so I uh, had... I, I procrastinated slash would have, you know, various forms of depressive episodes starting pretty young, like, I don't know, middle school or something. Mm -hmm. I, I started having um, just these episodes of not, like not doing anything, not feeling motivated or creative in any way. And I've always been a really creative person before comedy. It was painting and writing. And so it was school. Pottery. What? You said this this is like in school when you were no just in in general okay. yes in school also but like like just in general i would have these like um just episodes of like not being able to do anything or create anything um and feeling really down on myself about it and then feeling really like i'm procrastinating in this way that makes you know i felt it as like a character flaw um and in retrospect, it was kind of like writer's block, but writer's block with everything, you know, mm. like, um, and then, yeah, what my mom used to say to me is that you have to pull back the bow to release the arrow. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and that, I think about that all the time now because I still have those. That's excellent. I kind of feel like I'm in the middle of one of those episodes right now. And in a, in a less, it's not a depressive episode, but I'm definitely, I have writer's block big time and I have just general uh career like <laughs> aspiration block like i don't even know what it is i'm aiming for right now 
which I'm fine with, but you know, I, I panic about a little bit because I, it's unfamiliar to me at the moment, but that's like one of the things that I've been like, that's been getting me through it is that I'm just like, I got to pull back this bow. Oh, yeah. If you know where you're aiming, that's not the time to release an arrow. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Pulling back the bow, it kind of feels like you're going in the wrong direction, right? You're literally going in the opposite direction. Mm. I think you should be going, but and you, you feel all that tension at the same amount of speed, unless you, you, you do that backtracking or, you know, you allow that to happen. That That's great. Like you're going backwards. Uh, are you an archer? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Please learn archery. Um, <laughs> Because you meditate, you're a martial artist, you have an electric bike. If you know we archery, should, we you should know, do archery. We have she's got a good yard for it. Go, yeah, do some archery. And all I'm saying is, after that, you're fully prepared for any zombie apocalypse. <laughs> no one's, you're just, you know, you pull, you ah, gotta pull back the bow before you release the arrow into that zombie's head. head, head. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Self Care. Sorry about that. There's like a, a fly in here that's like on me. <laughs> Indoor flies, am I right? They know. They know what's up. They know outside's not safe either. Um, so yes, that was the episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you guys continue to listen. Um, leave me reviews and ratings and all that crap, and follow at Selfquar on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow Barvon Black, <laughs> B-A-R-V-O-N-B-L-A-Q, on both Twitter and Instagram if you want. I'm going to change my handle. Uh, anyway, sorry, it's freaking fly. Oh, no, that's not a fly. Okay, wait a minute. Everything's fine. What was I saying? Oh, yes, at SelfQuar um, on both Twitter and Instagram. Follow those. Get out of here. Wa oh, my God, that's a wasp. That's a wasp. It's coming at me. Get out of here, wasp, with your big old... 